Morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. A morning to you. Hey, if you made it to week three now of the three-week challenge, that is amazing. We are so happy that you are here. If you've been coming from Easter three weeks in a row, our prayer is that you have just begun to connect with God more and more and that you're just feeling drawn to him here in this place. And I encourage you to just keep seeking that out every Sunday. Uh, speaking of weeks, we have made it to week 90 of 90. We have made it to the end of the book of Luke, which is, were you wooing because it's over or because I just, I'll talk to you later. Okay. <clears throat> it's incredible. We're so happy uh, to be here. We went verse by verse through every verse pretty much of this entire book. We actually started this series in March of 2018. Uh, we took a number of breaks, obviously, to talk about other things throughout the way. I told the church at the time, we're starting this series. It's probably going to take us three years Whoops, took four. I'm going to blame it on COVID, which you can actually blame almost anything on COVID. I don't know if you've been trying that in your life. I use it quite often. Okay, so what, what are we going to do next after this massive 90-week study of the book of Luke? Uh, what we're going to do is next we're going, to shortest, we're going to study one of the shortest books of the Bible, and that is Paul's letter to Philemon. Uh, Philemon is this amazing, amazing letter in the Bible, and we're going to take just three weeks on it. That's all it'll take. It's not 24 chapters. It's just one. And we're going to talk, as we teach through this letter, how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, changes and impacts your relationships, how you interact with all of the different people around you in your life. And I think it's going to be really, really helpful. So come next week for that. Okay, here we go. Week 90 of 90. You ready? All right, grab a Bible. There's a Bible under every chair. If you're in the front row, it's under your chair. We're going to be on page 723. We want everybody to grab one so you can see what's happening here. So page 723. If you were here last week, uh, or if you weren't, let me catch you up to speed. It's Easter. Jesus has appeared that Easter afternoon to two followers who are walking along the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him at first, but eventually they do. And as soon as they do, Jesus just disappears they're so excited, they run seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples about it. It's nighttime now, and they're telling all the disciples about what happened, and today's story is going to happen in the midst of that conversation while they're updating the other disciples. So we're at page 723. This is kind of the night, late in the evening on that first Easter. So we're in Luke chapter 24, so you need the big 24, <clears throat> then we left off at verse 36. So if you find that little 36, that's where we are. Okay, here's what the Bible says. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still not believe it, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Okay, let's pause there for a couple minutes. There's a number of things here. Jesus' resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we're gonna read about in just a couple minutes here, really is gonna usher in a new age in the history of the world. Uh, in fact, I'm gonna show you in this passage three things that we sort of get a preview of, of how things are gonna change 
in this new age of history. Now, really, if we dove into theology, there are like 10 or 15 things that are changing, but we get three of them in this passage, and so we're gonna cover that. So uh, the first preview that we get of how things are gonna change now that Jesus, Jesus has resurrected is about the body. So number one, if you're writing this down, resurrected bodies, things are changing. So one of the most obvious differences that you see in this section is that Jesus' body is different, right? Like about an hour or two ago, he was in Emmaus having dinner, and then now he just, poof, appears in a different room. In fact, John, one of the disciples in his gospel in the Bible, he tells the same story, but he gives us an extra detail, and he tells us that actually the doors were shut. In fact, they were locked, and yet Jesus just appears. Now, he doesn't walk through a wall. Sometimes people say, he walked through the wall. It doesn't actually say that. It just says he appeared. His body is different. It's not like our body anymore. But what's really fascinating here is Jesus is actually going out of his way to explain to the disciples that his body is physical. That was verse 37, if you're looking at it. He's, he's emphasizing, it's, it's, it's not just spiritual. It's kind of the main emphasis of this little section. Right? He doesn't come right back and say, hey, I want to just keep teaching you about morality or theology. He spends some time actually explaining his body. So that's verse 39. He says, look, look at me. And where does he tell him to look? Do you see that? At his hands and his feet. Why? Because, well, that's has the wounds of his crucifixion, of bears the, bears the scars of his love for them. And then he says, touch me. Like, actually touch me. I'm not a ghost. I've, I've got flesh and, and bones. It's a spiritual body, a resurrected body. And where this becomes really important for you to understand in this now new age that we're living in is that one day, if you are a Christian, you will have a body like that. In fact, the Bible talks about this a couple of times in different places. Let me just show you a couple of them. We'll just put it on the screen because we're gonna jump around a little bit now. So in Philippians chapter three, Paul, one of the early Christian leaders says this. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform, this is when you die, our lowly bodies so that they will be like what? His glorious body. So your body one day is going to look like this body that Jesus has. Or here's another one from Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, that's the body you have right now, is perishable. That just means, sorry to break it to you, that thing's going to give out someday, right? But it is raised upon your death as a believer, imperishable. It won't grow old anymore. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, this scene that we're studying today in Luke 24 is actually, I think this is cool. It's a preview of what your body is going to be like someday. I'm personally really looking forward to teleportation, right? This is gonna be amazing. I think it's okay to kind of get excited about that. We're given a taste of this, a preview of this. And the Bible does a good job of explaining what it's gonna be like. It even uses this phrase right there at the bottom, spiritual body. 
And that's to contrast against the other systems of thought that are in the world. So if you look at almost every other school of thought in the world, people will say, no, 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 what is coming for you in the future is either body or spirit, the created dichotomy. So secularism, for example, and that just means non-religious, the secular thought says, okay, when your body gives out someday and you die, it stops working. Secularism says then you, as an entity, you cease to exist. There is no more you. Where other religions, particularly Eastern religions, say the exact opposite of that. They say, no, 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 you are a spirit. And everything about the world out there is an illusion. And so your goal in Eastern religion is something like nirvana, that you want detachment from all of the things of this world. You just want to be spirit. Well, along comes the Bible, or in many cases preceding a lot of this thought, and the Bible is such a fascinating comparison because the Bible says your eternal state isn't going to be just spirit. It's not going to be just body. It says you are a spiritual body, a resurrected body. So Jesus is very intentionally, graciously previewing for us what is to come. I mean, think about it. He's not like a spirit floating, hey guys, floating around the room, right? He's a spiritual body. He shows up in the room. The disciples are freaking out. And like you wouldn't if that happened to you, right? They're just screaming their heads off. And then I just love this moment. Jesus is like, hey, you guys got anything to eat? Like, this teleportation really works up an appetite or something, right? And he takes broiled fish, apparently, right? By the way, I think this is why we can be really confident that there will be culvers in heaven. Because we, thank you, why? If you were ever gonna shout amen, that was it, you missed it, that was unfortunate. Uh, We're gonna eat, we're gonna eat. You're a body, a spiritual body. What we've seen actually, if you've been here as we've taught through the book of Luke a number of times, is that Luke describes through Jesus, describing Jesus' teachings, that Jesus says that in heaven, when we all come together someday, he describes that moment as the great wedding feast. We're gonna eat. We're gonna move. We're a spiritual body. And we get a preview of that in today's passage. Okay, so we're gonna get another preview about how things are really beginning to change. So let's open back up. You wanna find uh, verse 44. That's where we left off. It says, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. By the way, that's how they usually would sum up the Old Testament in those days. So that's what he's saying. The Old Testament is all this part of the Bible before Jesus. It says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Okay, let's, let's look for the preview in that section. What Jesus is previewing for them here is actually something that the Holy Spirit, who is coming and who is God, is going to do all the time in this new age. And here's the second preview. There will be minds that are opened by the Spirit, Okay, so that was verse 45, if you still have it on your lap. It says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He actually did that last week too. I don't know if you remember this. When the followers are walking with him on the road to Emmaus, they can't see it, and then Jesus opens their mind to see it. 
And now, I think it's important to understand this passage well, because it's not like when he's going through the Old Testament with them, it's not like he's just teaching it to them the first time. The disciples aren't going, whoa, Adam and Eve, that's a crazy story. King David, he's so cool. They just spent three years with Jesus. So they know the scriptures, but they needed God to open their mind to it so that they could put it all together. That sort of aha moment. And that's one of the main things that the Holy Spirit does today. In fact, the Bible speaks of that concept a lot. Let me show you an example of this. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, what we have received, so us as Christians, is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit, so this is the non-believer, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. You try and explain the gospel to someone, they don't know, they're going, this is, no, foolish, right? And he says, and cannot understand them because they are discerned, you can only understand them through the spirit. So let me give you an example of this. Um, I didn't become a Christian until I was 18 years old. Uh, I grew up in rural Minnesota, and in those days, Everybody went to church, uh, especially in, in that sort of area of, of the country. And I, uh, growing up, I heard plenty of sermons, never heard the gospel, like never really understood how to know Jesus, but I heard people teach the Bible. But it might as well have been Charlie Brown's teacher on the stage. Uh, I was going to imitate her, but I just, I tried a couple times when I practiced and it sounded really bad. Okay. <laughs> and I couldn't, I just couldn't understand in part, A, because I wasn't really seeking, I didn't care, but the, other, the flip side of the coin is, God hadn't opened up my mind to understand it. And so if people are truly gonna know God, it truly makes sense that he died for them, and that he can forgive them, we need God to move and open up their minds. Here's another way to think about this. Um, we just have this thing going on here the last couple months where not only are we seeing people make first-time decisions to follow Jesus uh, almost every week, it's almost every service at this point, which is amazing. But if it doesn't happen, lots of times someone will come up to me in the lobby and they'll say, Pastor David, I have an idea. When you ask people to stand, what if we had a couple of our people stand up first just to kind of inspire the other people? Or what if we had... You ask them to come forward. What if we had some of our people like, <clears throat> you know, wiping away the tears, like walking to the front, you know, and it'll kind of inspire other people to go. And I always say, no way, we're never going to do that. And here's why. I'll give you three really quick reasons. Number one, you can't manipulate someone into the kingdom of God. Uh, secondly, and this is really connected, it is, oh, God is all powerful, okay? It's not like God is in heaven like, oh, I really, 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 really want that person to become a Christian, but... Oh, if only the Christian in front of them would lie and pretend to become a Christian, then I could move their hearts to become a Christian. And thirdly, Jesus himself says this in John chapter six. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. So those things are always working together, right? We are seeking and the father is drawing in and the Holy Spirit is opening up minds. Jesus is previewing now, that's how it's gonna work in this new age. So if that is true, and if that's what the Bible teaches, then Christians and churches need to adjust our strategies accordingly. 
So this impacts how you think about your friend or family member that doesn't know Christ. It impacts how we operate as a church. And so one of the ways that this impacts our church is we're not like a really flashy church. There's not a lot of gimmicks and emotions and all that. We're just trusting, first and foremost, if someone's going to come to Christ, we're trusting in prayer. Okay, so this is why we pray the impossible. This is why we have a prayer meeting before every single service that we want you to actually come to and pray. And pray what? Pray that God would come and open up minds. I'm not, I didn't even say this last service, but let me say that. I'm not sure that a lot of us actually believe that. We kind of just think, well, if I say it right, or if I just explain it right, or it'll just happen. But it's prayer. It's prayer that opens up minds to understand the scripture and understand the forgiveness of God. Does that make sense? Okay, so we get a preview of that in this passage. Okay, now there's a third preview we're going to see, and we're going to read the, the last part of the book of Luke here. Okay, so I actually want to start again on 47. 47 says this, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So this is sort of like the great commission in Luke. He's sending them out to bring the gospel to the nations. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now there's sort of like a, almost a 40 day gap between these verses here. Jesus appears a lot of times over a period of 40 days before he actually ascends. So verse 50, when he had led them out, led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Okay, so what, what's happening here? Now, the book of Luke is actually Luke's first book in the Bible. But if you're really sad about this ending, do not fear, my friends. There is a sequel. <laughs> this is incredible. And you don't have to wait a year for it to come out. It's not going to be a disappointment. It's called the book of Acts. So the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, was also actually written by Luke. This is really cool. And you can learn about what happens now that the church gets started. Now, if you read, and by the way, the book of Acts is about 28 chapters long. Next week, we are going to start a 90-week series on the, I'm just kidding, we're doing Philemon for three weeks. Uh, we actually did a 43-week series on the book of Acts in the early years of the church. But if you read Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 is actually just a recap of the end of Luke chapter 24. It sort of starts like previously on the book of Luke, right? And you go in and you see Jesus again giving the Great Commission, telling them to take the gospel to the nations. But in Acts, we find out that when Jesus said at the end of the book of Luke, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Remember we just read that? we find out in the book of Acts that that is the Holy Spirit. It's God who's part of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit is now gonna come in this new age and indwell, live in the believers and that is really different than everything that has happened up to this point and the Holy Spirit is going to empower them to carry out this mission he's just gave, given them. So that's the third preview that we get that's really pretty special and it's this, that followers of Jesus will now be empowered by the spirit who's gonna come live within them, and that's very, very different. See, because before this dawning of the new age, what would happen if the disciples uh, couldn't figure something out? Like there's this one story in the gospels where they're trying to cast out a demon, they can't figure it out. 
or they don't know what to do, what do they do? They say, well, somebody go get Jesus. Where is he? And so this is connected to why Jesus had to ascend back to heaven. So why did he do that? Because I'm sure as he went up, the disciples were like, no, come, come back, right? But why does he have to go? He goes because if he doesn't go, everyone would just always be trying to find and talk to Jesus, and it would be quite hard. You think the lines are long at the state fair, imagining trying to wait to get a conversation with Jesus. And so Jesus actually says in John chapter 16, he says, unless I go, the spirit will not come, but the spirit is coming for the betterment of the world, because now in this new age, we all can have this direct, immediate access to God via the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us a number of things, like there's probably 10 or 12 of them, but things like assurance of salvation. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit grows fruit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit. That's character, change in your life. And one of the main things that the Holy Spirit does is he empowers you, gives you the power to carry out this really, really critical mission that Jesus has given all of his followers to carry his good news to other people. Uh, let, me, let me tell you a story about this. Not, I read this story not that long ago, and it just stuck with me. Uh, There's a man named uh, Dawson Trotman. Some of you may know that name. Uh, Dawson Trotman was the founder of really one of the most effective ministries of the 20th century, the Navigators, this incredible uh, evangelistic Bible study and discipleship ministry. And Trotman was in Germany in 1948. So I don't know how well you know your history timeline, but the, the fall of the Nazis, the end of World War II was 1945. So this is about three years after that. He's in Germany. I mean, the country's just been devastated by war and what they went through. And he's there to train German Christian leaders on basically Luke 24, our passage, the Great Commission, taking the good news of Jesus, bringing it to their people, and then to the nations. And he was there for three days, and as he started to teach the German Christians, he said, I just got objection after objection. And they would say, oh, Mr. Trotman, you just don't understand like what we've been through. We just went through the war. One of the guys said, I don't, like books, everything is so scarce. I don't even have an Old Testament right now. I just have this little New Testament. So how am I supposed to do this? And Trotman answered him. He said, you know, think about it. When Jesus gave this same commission to the disciples, they actually didn't even have the New Testament. And yet they went. He said about an hour later, another guy raised his hand and said, yeah, but we don't, like in America, you have all these books on church and evangelism and sharing your faith. We don't have any of that. And he said, guess what? The disciples actually didn't have books either. Wouldn't be invented for another 1,500 years, okay? Maybe they had a scroll somewhere. But they didn't have it. He said the next day, another guy said, we don't have like the devices, the materials. You guys have, you know, cars and radio and we don't have any of that. And he said, yeah, but either did the disciples. And he said on the final day, there was this old man, you could tell he'd just been through a lot in the war. And he said, Mr. Chapman, this is what you don't get. In America, you don't know what it's like to have an occupying force in your land. To literally have soldiers, because the allied forces were still there in Germany, soldiers walking around your streets from another country. And yet you're telling us to go out and share the gospel. You don't know what that's like. And Trotman says that, I just found that so fascinating that he said that. He said, think about it. The disciples literally had an occupying force from another country, the Romans, in their land. They were scared to death, remember? The Romans, along with the Jewish leaders, just killed Jesus. They're in the room with the doors locked. They're so scared. And isn't it interesting that Jesus gives this great commission to go 
therefore, and bring this good news to the disciples in circumstances that you can really scarcely think of worse circumstances. Right? There's no printing press, there's no vehicles, they, they don't have the internet, there's no social media. These guys are young, they're inexperienced, there's enemies all around, and yet verse 49 of our passage says simply this, you will be clothed with power from on high. And in this new age, that's all you need. What else would you need? Somebody in here got something else better? You will be clothed with power from on high. And they turn the world around with power from on high. See, the thing about when you use just power from on high, what do people give credit to? Power from on high. And see, this exact same principle is still true for the church today. It's true for us. Our mission, church, is to follow Jesus and help others do the same. This is what this whole book has been about the last couple years as we've been studying it. It's what some of you have been staring at for years. Lost and found. People all around us are lost without Christ. They can't figure out purpose. And some of them are on the path to be lost for all of eternity. They're lost. And Jesus came to find them. One of my favorite verses from this whole book is Luke 19.10. It says, for Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save what was lost. That's why he came. And now, we finish this last chapter, but the next chapter is us going to seek and to save what was lost. Church, we must not fall into this pattern that so much of the American church is falling into right now. The devil is lulling the American church to sleep with the idols of entertainment, with the idols of worldly pursuits, and with the idols of just, I'm just gonna get all this information for me. You know, think about this. The Great Commission, it starts with the disciples, and the only reason you know this good news today is because for the last 2,000 years, somebody passed it on from person to person to person to person. Wouldn't you love to trace that all the way back for 2,000 years? And they just kept passing it on so much so that someday it got to you. You got it. But now it's your turn. It's your turn. People are lost all around us. This city, the city of Blaine, alone is in a dire situation. It is so dire that you cannot afford as a Christian to be a cul-de-sac on God's Great Commission Highway. The gospel cannot dead end at you. Let God move through you. We will not rest until every person in this city has heard the gospel. So let's go. And we can go with confidence. Why? Not because we got the latest tricks and ideas. We're going with power from on high. So let's go. All right, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this book, uh, just how much it's uh, meant to us these last three or four years. God, thank you. I just think right now of the many, many people who were saved from the words of this book as you open their minds to your love and forgiveness. And Lord, we ask that you would give us continued boldness to go, to not see the obstacles, but to see the power from on high. And may we trust in you and may you use us. May you use us even in the darkness, God, that we would know that your light overcomes the darkness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.